0: A Bible with you today. Um, I'd love you to turn up One Peter chapter five. We'll get there in a couple of minutes. And also, possibly, if you would like to Psalm twenty-three. But we'll come there in a few minutes. Can you stick the first slide up for me, guys? Um, recently, we published a vision statement for our church. I gave it out on a piece of paper um, the week before Easter, and we've um, I've talked about this a couple of times. I'm going to read it to you one more time. It all it is, is. There's nothing. I mean, it sounds very fancy and grand. It's just a, a set of words that kind of encapsulates what it is that we really feel that God has asked us to do here. And in fact, you know, it's interesting, yesterday I was looking back through a number of talks that I've done, just the, the, the PowerPoint presentations from the last three or four years, where we've talked on vision, and I realized we we've been saying the same thing for about four or five years now. It's just that this is a better way of saying it. So this is what we believe God is calling us to do together, and this kind of really echoes with the prayer that we've just been praying. We believe that God wants us to rewrite the story of our city, restoring hope and bringing life to individuals and institutions. We believe the good news of Jesus has the power to rescue and save everyone. And passionately pursuing him and growing together as his disciples, we are compelled to live out this story, demonstrating his love and making a difference in our communities. We're not just here to build a great church, but we want to be part of a kingdom movement that brings about transformation one life at a time and releases everyone to live out their dreams that God places in their hearts. I don't know how that makes you feel. Chances are some of you will be reading that and you'll already be excited and chomping at the bit. Where do I go? Others of you will be going, yeah, that's great, that's great. What does that mean for me? And you'll be kind of working it through, praying maybe, waiting. Others of you who cope less well with change or new things might be pretending it's not happening. Um, (laughs) That's a normal set of reactions to any new idea or to any change. You always get your early adopters and your, you know, sort of late adopters. I don't know, though, if there are some of you who are looking at that and you're not even ready to engage with that because for whatever reason, you just feel like you actually have nothing else to offer anyone. So rather than rewrite the story of the city, your concerns are just desperate for your own story to get rewritten. Never mind bringing hope and life to others, you feel like you're in desperate need of hope and life. And when you think about Jesus transforming power, going out there and touching people, you just kind of wish it would touch you. I wonder how many of us feel like that sometimes. Maybe it leaves you feeling a bit depressed. Maybe despite your best efforts, you just feel like you're not making headway. Some of us are in very tough circumstances, you know. I'm aware of that, really aware of that. Sometimes they're of our own making, sometimes they're not of our own making at all and for whatever reason we feel like it's really hard to engage with this kind of outward focused vision transformation of the city because we just it's just so hard to get out of our own place maybe that even leaves us feeling a little bit guilty because we sort of feel like well i need the resources of the church for myself just to get back on an even keel and if that if that is you then god bless you you're more than welcome here and i pray that you know if you haven't already this morning that you meet jesus powerfully And experience his wonderful and powerful presence in the midst of very genuine and very difficult struggles. Because one thing that unites all of us, no matter where we're at, is that we all are in desperate need of Jesus. The church isn't the source of life. Jesus is the source of life. The church, its leaders and its people, all the resources of the church are geared to helping point people to Jesus. Introduce people to Jesus. Connect people to Jesus. Our aim is to create an environment here and further afield in our communities where people connect with God, where the Holy Spirit does the work. And it's him that does the work of transformation, not us. And all of that sets up quite an interesting tension, which is what we want to explore through this series. I want to spend the next three weeks looking at this. Really, the, the title is Pastoral Care. But what the subtitle is, is how do we remain inwardly strong whilst also at the same time outwardly focused? How do we as a community stay connected to God personally while appropriately showing love and care for others in difficult times, so difficult circumstances? How do we build strong loving relationships while not losing sight of the kingdom of God, that kingdom adventure that he leads us into? As an individual, how can I help others connect with God when I only just feel like I'm just clinging on to him myself? How much can I reasonably expect others in the church to support me in the middle of a personal difficult crisis or difficult situation? What does pastoral care actually look like in a church that is called to focus outwards and make an impact in our communities? Now, wherever you are on your faith journey, whether you're exploring faith, whether you're a friend of Jesus a long time or you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, well, you're so welcome here anyway. So even if, the, even, if you, if, even if you say to me, well, I, I'm not sure that I can say that I'm a Christian yet. Well, this is what we're talking about today, and I hope this talk is helpful. It's about how God has a plan for all of us to lead abundant and adventurous lives. How transformation is for all of us. And different churches do this pastoral care thing differently. So I don't know if you've, been to, if you've been in a different church, you may have some different expectations, but we just wanted to take some time, and I'm going to speak today. Um, about this, and then Joe and Chris are going to follow up in the next couple of weeks. So this church is a place where anyone can come, whatever your circumstances are. You guys, as Joe's already encouraged you, are a warm and a welcoming community, and we try to be real, we try to recognise that life can be tough for some people, but that God has a real fantastic plan and purpose for each of us. And we want to be a place where people can press into God, whether they're celebrating the joyful moments or journeying through the difficult times. That's what we do through our services and life groups and teams and events. We try and build strong, loving communities. You've heard us talk about this before, that um, one way to describe kind of what the, the main body of the church looks like is these four different words, a hospital, a community, a school, and an army. Well, we are, a, we are these things. But as I said to you a couple of weeks ago, we look at these things chiefly through the army lens. So for those of you who love community, you just love hanging out and building friendships and being together. Well, that's fantastic. We are that. But we're a community with a purpose, like an army community. And for those of you who love to learn and go deeper into the Bible and their understanding of God, those of you who love to listen to talks and read books and watch God TV, well, we are like a school or a college where you can learn. But it's not just for the sake of it. It's for a purpose. You don't stay in school forever. You graduate at some point and you go out and you hit the big wide world. And we are a school, we are learning to put stuff into practice. We're being equipped to go out and get involved in God's mission. So we're we're like an army school. And also for those who are broken or in pain, we are, yes, like a hospital. But it is an army hospital. As I said to you before, it's a hospital where we get healed up, where we get better. And then we get out and start fulfilling our purpose in the world. And as I said to you a couple of weeks ago, we're an army hospital, not a hospice. And hospices are really important places, but we're not called to be that. And so for the rest of this morning, I just want to look at what it is. What's the biblical basis for this phrase that we bandy around sometimes, pastoral care? And how does that work out around here? And then Joe will look specifically about how we do this, how we remain inwardly strong as a community... And Chris will look more about how we do that with individuals. So I looked up pastoral care in the the Fount of All Knowledge Wikipedia, and it says that, um, here's a great definition, it it calls it an ancient model of emotional and spiritual support that can be found in all cultures and traditions. Although it also recognises and acknowledges that historically, the phrase pastoral care is Christian in origin. While it's Christian in origin, the pastoral care movement has expanded to embrace many different faiths and cultures. So pastoral care has diff- definitely has Christian roots. and The origins for the word pastor come out of the Bible. It actually means shepherd. And that's obviously a very familiar Bible image, a metaphor. We'll explore more about that in a minute. But we do need to acknowledge just briefly that in today's culture, the phrase pastoral care has come to mean something different to what the Bible is getting at when it talks about shepherding and pastoring. So a more modern definition I read here says, in a mainstream society, pastoral care has become a care model and a profession. Now that's not a bad thing in itself, but it is quite a long way from what the Bible is talking about when it uses the word pastoral. Okay? Alan Scott, who uh, leads Causeway now puts it even more strongly than this, than I would. I couldn't get his um, thing onto the screen because it's a bit too small. So I'll just read it to you. He says this, Excuse me, I do have a bit of a cough this morning. Cut me down for a minute. Right, he says this, The phrase and practice of pastoral care has been largely corrupted by our therapy culture and an introspective church. It's been sabotaged by unhealthy and unbiblical expectation. Instead of dynamic listening for the shepherd and embracing movement, it has become preoccupied with settling the sheep and safeguarding against disruption. It knows little of the unpredictability Jesus promised to those led by the Spirit. Now that's quite a strong phrase, and I'm not sure that I see what that's what's going on here at all, um, if I don't. But I think it's a fair reflection on the mainstream church, or some aspects of it. And so we just thought it would be helpful to go into this a bit and look at what a biblical understanding of the word pastoral care means. Now, as I've said already, the Bible doesn't really use the word pastor. That word actually is translated, the Greek word is poimen, and it means a herdsman or a shepherd. In other words, one who cares for, feeds, guides, and protects sheep. Hence, um, Joe and I have decided we're going to change our job title. We're going to be called the senior shepherds from now on, if that's all right with you. See, in the New Testament, you actually don't find any of the church leaders called pastors. The people who have responsibility for leading congregations or churches are, have the titles apostle or elder or overseer or deacon. But nobody's actually referred to as a pastor. So if you can refer to me as apostle, Nigel, from now on, no, I'm just teasing. Um, I, to, I want to make three points uh, in my talk today. The first one is that leaders are called to be like shepherds. And if you've got your Bible open at 1 Peter, I'll just read four verses from 1 Peter chapter 5, and verse 1 to 4. Just give you a second to find that. You might want to pick it up on your phone or on your tablet or even in the paper version. 1 Peter chapter 4, 5 and verses 1 to 4. And um, I'm just going to read from the NIV translation. This is called Instructions for Leaders. To the elders among you, Peter writes, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Verse 2. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. So Peter's Peter's instruction here is very clear, that the responsibility of an elder or a leader is to shepherd the flock, or pastor the flock, that's the word that we use, and to watch over them and to exercise oversight, which is where we get the term overseer. And Peter then gives three instructions on exactly how that's supposed to happen, how we're supposed to carry out those responsibilities. That's not really the focus of my talk this morning. He says you've got to do it gladly. And willingly, not because you've been compelled to or compo- not, not have a sense of compulsion. He says you've got to do it eagerly and not out of greed or for your own dishonest gain. And he says you've got to serve as an example to the congregation and not use your leadership as a place to be domineering. And in fact, that's kind of a leader's job description, the character traits that are expected of a church leader. That's my job description. But in verse 4, Peter makes it very clear that the ultimate model of this kind of shepherding is very clearly found in Jesus, who is the chief shepherd and will be the standard by which all other shepherds or leaders are judged. Tom Wright, who's a New Testament scholar, says this about this passage. He said, in a rural economy, it's hardly surprising that this is one of the standard images for the way in which either God himself or the anointed king, are supposed to look after their sheep to make sure they're fed and to protect them from predators. The role of a shepherd is to lead the sheep to a place where they will find food and water. And the role of a shepherd is to protect them from predators. It's a very biblical image. And You've probably read this, so you can look it up if you want, but I've got it up here. Psalm 23, pretty, most, pretty much one of the most famous passages in the Bible. says, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. This psalm was written by King David. David, who as a shepherd boy would have spent many, many days and nights out in the fields tending sheep. His job was to make sure that they were led to a place where they had fresh pasture to graze in. And clearly David was able to draw in his own experience to write this beautiful psalm, showing how God is the shepherd of his people. It all sounds lovely and fluffy and green, doesn't it? But David's job was also to protect them. I reckon we can surmise that he would have learned to fight off or frighten away predators, wolves, bears, whatever. That's how come David learned to use a sling and throw stones at it, which is what he used to defeat Goliath. So a shepherd's job is to keep leading the sheep to a place where they'll be fed and watered and nourished and safe. And it still is. I don't know how many of you students or teenagers are uh, looking at possible career paths at the minute. Here's a fairly informal paragraph from a uh, website called careersearch.com on um, those who might be interested in a career as a shepherd. Shepherds have been watching over sheep for several thousand years. Often the image of the shepherd is that of a protector, and that's accurate. But to be completely clear, shepherds are paid to keep an eye over an investment. Or if they are in the sheep business for themselves, then the sheep they are watching are cash, money in the bank. Thus, the shepherd might be using the sheep for their wool or their milk or for meat. So keep in mind that being a shepherd does not mean hanging out with the sheep all day and being their friend. (laughs) Every now and then, the grim reaper comes for one of your furry friends. (laughs) The realities of shepherding. Actually, you know, there's loads on the. I started looking up how many UK shepherds are there. And I came across this guy. And apparently he's he's a Twitter star. The Herdy Shepherd from the Lake District. He's got 42,000 followers on Twitter. This guy's 40. He's called James Rebanks. And he's written a book about his experiences up in the Lake District. Anyway, just, I just need to read you a little bit of what he said. He says, you need to be tough as old boots. Imagine working for weeks on end in the rain, and then snow, and then lambs dying of hypothermia. The romance wears off after a few weeks, believe me, and you will be left standing cold and lonely on a mountain. It is all about endurance, digging in, holding on. You'll also need to be emotionally tough because part of shepherding is that things don't just die, they get killed. Carrion crows hang over our lambing fields waiting to steal the eyes of anything sick or dead that cannot resist. You may have to skin dead lambs to use the coat on an orphan lamb to get it adopted. You'll need the patience of a saint too, he says, because sheep test you to the limit. With a million innovative ways to escape, get sick or die. I'm not sure we need to stretch this metaphor any further. (laughs) But it's not all fluffy and green, is it? It's interesting because shepherding in a biblical context is a verb and not a noun. It's something we do, not something we call ourselves. The leader is not called a shepherd, but the instruction is to shepherd the people of God. In other words, lead them to places where they can get food and water and make sure they're safe. A shepherd has done his job successfully when the sheep have become all that they could possibly be, when they've reached their maximum potential. And for Joe and I, as the senior pastors of this church, our job here is to make sure that shepherding is happening, that people are being led to places where they get food and water for their soul, where they feel safe enough to be themselves and get real before God, And to connect with Jesus and become all that we can be. To reach our full potential. That's our heart, that's our aim. That everyone here, no matter what your background is, no matter what's going on, that you get the opportunity to do that. And in a church this size, it would be impossible for us to connect with every single person in a really meaningful way to make sure that that's happening. We may not be the best people to do it anyway. But our job is to release others who are gifted in all areas, including the areas of pastoral and shepherding. And one more Bible passage that I want to look at, Ephesians 4 and chapter 11. You'll you'll have heard me preach on this one before. Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, or the word is shepherds, and teachers to equip his people for works of service. You see, pastoral gifting is one of the five key leadership functions that need to be present in any healthy church. I'm delighted that at many different levels in this community, we have leaders who are skilled in all areas, and particularly in the area of shepherding. We have people here who love people, leaders who love people, who are patient, who are caring, who are caring enough to listen and help, whilst also stretching people to grow, leading them forward in God. There is not simply one key pastor or one key prophet or one key evangelist in this church who does all the pastoring or prophecy or evangelism. Our title senior pastor is actually misleading. A better description would be church leader. It's a weird one though, because depending on what I who I meet when I'm out and about, you know, I use all sorts of different titles anyway. If I fill in some things I have to be a minister of religion community worker i connect people with jesus i have all sorts of different ways of signing myself but the biblical basis for pastoral care in a church context comes down to the process of shepherding and leading god's people to places where they can connect with him and god gifts all kinds of people for this task some of them have leadership positions but many don't many of you do this naturally many of you are gifted in this area and I think God wants to release and continue to release more pastors and shepherds, not just in the church, but as Dom said, in the marketplace. Some of us are called to do this in our workplaces and our communities. Even if we're not in the perfect place with God ourselves, He can and He does use us. And above it all is Jesus the role model. Jesus, Paul Peter describes him as the chief shepherd. Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd. There just isn't a way to do this without a cheesy picture, okay? It's the only, it's the only way we can do it, okay? I hate those cheesy pictures of Jesus. I'm sure he didn't look like that. I am the good shepherd, he says. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. They know my voice. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I'm not sure I made that point clear. Point one was that pastoring or leaders are meant to be are called to be shepherds. Point two is that the good shepherd leads his sheep on a dynamic journey. There's movement involved. See, this verse speaks of the relationship between Jesus the shepherd and us his sheep. It talks of intimacy. I know them and they know me. It speaks of sacrificial cost. I laid down my life for them. We've already heard about what it costs to be a shepherd in the Lake District anyway. Jesus, of course, pays the ultimate sacrifice. And the reason that a sheep needs to know the shepherd's voice is because of the way that they operate, which is inherently dynamic. You see, a healthy flock of sheep must embrace movement and adventure. It's built into their way of life. The shepherd will remarkably move his sheep from one place to another in order to make sure they get all the nourishment they need to reach their full potential. The reality is that if a shepherd kept his sheep in one safe place, what's going to happen? Yeah, exactly. They're going to die of hunger. Eventually, the good grass is going to run out. And so the sheep need to trust the shepherd in times of movement or change. They need to know his voice. And as Alan Scott was saying in that quote I read earlier, sometimes the church has mistakenly seen pastoral care as a way of simply making sure the sheep are settled and they're in a safe place and everybody's happy. Rather than really understanding the dynamic nature of anyone's relationship between them and their shepherd. Do you get me? Because life with Jesus is not static, it's dynamic, it's moving, it's changing. It's an adventure. At the point that we choose to follow him, everything changes. And then we go on living this adventure. We looked at this in detail in Romans. But here's just one passage from chapter 8 and verse 15. In the message it is. It says, this resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant. Greeting God with a childlike what's next, Papa? And it goes on to say, God's spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. And we know who he is and he knows who we are. It's father and children. And we know we're going to get what's coming to us. An unbelievable inheritance. We go through exactly what Christ goes through. If we go through the hard times with him, then we're going to be going through the good times with him. We are on a journey, a dynamic journey. All journeys are dynamic. There is always movement. You always end up at the end of a journey in a different place to where you started from. Maybe you don't like where you are now. Maybe you think things are so bad that Jesus couldn't or wouldn't be interested in meeting you where you are now. But you know what? You've heard us say this before, but Jesus said to each of us, come as you are. But he also says, don't stay as you are. He says, I have so much more for each of you, but you are going to need to trust me. Like a shepherd might be saying, I've got a really good place for you. It's down there, it's fertile, green pastures, you'll be fed and nourished, there's an amazing stream. But to get down there, you've got to go down this quite narrow path, and it's a little bit scary and it feels a bit uncomfortable because it's all about change. We're going to navigate some difficult circumstances. We aren't going to get there unless we follow the lead of the shepherd and step out of our comfort zones, which might mean facing up to some uncomfortable truths. It might mean seriously adjusting our screwed up thinking. Or dealing with the pain and the hurt that we feel or the effects of sin on our lives, our sin or other people's sin. All of that takes guts and courage and trust. It might mean having a tricky conversation. Facing up to some pain, changing an attitude, making a choice to release forgiveness despite how we feel. And speaking that out. Sometimes it's easier metaphorically to stay in the pastures where although we feel safe and familiar, actually the food and water is running out. The grass is brown and stubbly and it's beginning to impact our health. In order to be in a place where we can continue to grow, we need to be listening for the voice of the shepherd and trusting him and following him from pain to health, from shame to freedom. Maybe you feel like you've been stuck in a place like that. Physical or emotional pain because of something that somebody else has done, or covered by shame because of something that you've done. Maybe you've never even admitted to anyone exactly what it is you have done. You're scared to even let your guard down or get close to God because you know that something's going to happen. Maybe you know that the things you believe about yourself just don't match up with the truth of God. But you just can't seem to change the record that's playing I wonder if Jesus has a different pasture for you today. Is he inviting us to take some steps forward? What's the shepherd's voice saying? Those following Jesus need to know his voice and be able to listen for it clearly. He's already proved that he's willing to pay the sacrifice. And lastly, I just want to look at some values about how we work this out practically. I've done a lot of the Bible stuff today, and Joe and Chris will pick up on a lot more of the practical application over the next two weeks. But I just want to finish by looking at some key truths that are going to help us stay inwardly strong despite circumstances. I've got five here. I'm just going to cover them briefly. The first thing is that all of us do need appropriate comfort and care and encouragement from one another. That's the right thing to do. It's biblical. It's biblical. It's helpful. Galatians 2 says we are called to bear one another's burdens. We walk through this stuff together. Paul, when he wrote his letters, he asked for encouragement for himself and he encouraged churches to encourage one another. Make sure that we're encouraging one another. Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 5 says, Therefore encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you're doing. And the church is an amazing place where that can happen. The relationships that we have here are powerful. We have the ability to encourage one another and walk with one another and share one another's burdens. And that's a powerful and wonderful thing. But another truth that we need to own is that we need to own our own needs whilst not letting them dictate our identity. You might be very aware that you've got an insecurity or some issue that's, that's, that's causing a blockage between you and God. It's really good to understand that and to find out where it's come from. But it's really not good to let that thing define you. That's not who you are, God says. It can be easy to wallow in our self-pity sometimes or let our issues define us. I'm the, the one who messed up over here. I'm the ex-con. I'm the one who used to have a gambling problem. I'm the former addict. Almost. Almost. <laughs> God is bigger than any issue or any need. And pressing into him is always the key. God is the source. He is He is the source of change in life. And addressing what we believe about ourselves is key to our healing. But again, we read it in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, transformation through the renewing of the mind. Some of us, we're looking for an experience that will change us. And actually, all we need to do is we need to allow the truth to change our minds. Now, that sounds simple, but it's not, it's not necessarily a simple thing to do. But looking to the truth and not our circumstances is a really tough discipline, but it really makes a difference. What is the truth that I need to believe today? What is the truth that I need to live out? This is how I do it. I simply write it down. If I realize that there's a problem here, that I'm not, I'm not believing something that I should be believing about myself, I just start writing it down. I read it to myself. I speak it out. Here's another way you could do it. You could record it into your phone or a tape recorder and then you could play it back to yourself while you're sleeping. It's what some people do to kind of learn their stuff for their exams. Well, why couldn't that work? Or put it on a post-it note on your mirror so that every morning you wake up and it says, you are an amazing child of God, or whatever it is the truth that you need to learn. Brian told me it's like taking medicine. Do you remember you told me this after after um, you know some of us what we need to do after God's kind of changed something is we need to take our medicine every day. So and what that is is it's just it's just reading and understanding and owning that truth every day. If you do that every day for a certain number of days, they reckon about thirty days or something like that, stuff starts to go in. Change does come often. As we look beyond ourselves, you might have heard this phrase, we grow as we go. Or maybe you've heard this one, get over yourself, (laughs) I'm just teasing. (laughs) As I said before, we are an army hospital and we are on a mission. And I've seen so many people's whole persona change as they literally simply just take their eyes and their focus off of themselves and onto Jesus and onto others. It really works. Hard as it is, it really works. It's hard to challenge someone sometimes because they're so ingrained in the stuff that's going on within them. But it's, sometimes it's absolutely necessary. A friend of mine used to say, pastoring is like holding up a mirror to somebody. Now imagine this is a mirror. I say, I don't know what you think is going on, but this is what I'm seeing in you. What I'm seeing is a focus on yourself and your problems and your issues. And hard as it is, I think if you could take your focus off that and lift your eyes onto Jesus, you would find that something would shift. That's a tough conversation to have. And it's contrary to our consumer society, which is narcissistic in nature. (laughs) You know, because you're worth it. Whatever your needs are, you can get them met. And that's why probably the pastoral care movement that I was talking about earlier has grown up so much because sometimes it's just so hard to lift your focus off yourself. It's not a bad movement. They're not bad people. I'm not saying that. The psalmist says, I lift my eyes to the mountain. Well, that's a metaphor. I lift my eyes to God. Jesus says, lift your eyes and look to me. And the last thing is it's really important to develop a healthy understanding of suffering. And again, we talked about this in our Romans series. Dear friends, Peter says in 1 Peter 4, just the chapter before, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on to you to test you as though something strange were happening. Rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If we are trying to live God's way, stuff is going to happen. Stuff happens. Sometimes it's a direct result of God's enemy and his destructive work. Sometimes it's just life. Just stuff happens. Even when it's just life stuff, often God's enemy gets in and stirs things up for us. Everybody undergoes loss and pain and hurt. It is heartbreaking. But God is still God. And he still wants to walk through this stuff with us. He's still the shepherd, wanting to lead us and comfort us. So yesterday would have been my parents' 50th wedding anniversary had they both still been alive. They were married on April the 2nd, 1966. But as many of you know, they're both gone to be with the Lord now. My dad was only 63, coming up 10 years when he died. And my mum, a couple of years ago, just short of 70. And some days, I really wish they were still here. Occasionally, I end up dreaming about them, and that's the weirdest thing. Because in my dreams, they're still alive. And then I wake up, and I go, whoa, what's going on? Just occasionally. I have that sense sometimes of being like the last one in my family. I'm not the last one, but I'm the oldest one. Of kind of being having to be responsible and all of that. And some days that's really tough. And I'm, I know that many of you have experienced something similar to me. But on some days I do have to sort of say, why did this happen to me before it happened to most of my peers? And on those days I have to make sure that I push into God. Thanking him for the incredible blessing of their lives, making sure that I'm looking to him for my needs to be met, acknowledging that there is mystery and unknowing, but that God makes everything beautiful in its season. I've been incredibly blessed. And all of us can get through tough times by looking to God, the chief shepherd, by listening for his voice, trusting him, following his lead. It is possible to remain inwardly strong and also outwardly focused. And just very lastly and very practically, where does this happen? Well, it happens anywhere, but the key environments for pastoral care, you know, if you're here on a Sunday, anyone can receive prayer or ministry or a chat or some support any Sunday. Whether it's been announced from the front or not, there are always people here who will pray for you. Life Group is another fantastic place where there will always be somebody who can pray for you. So whatever you're going through, there are two opportunities most weeks to receive prayer. So if you're struggling and you need help, there are, there are two places straight away. That's not to say that your needs must have take center stage in a life group, but there will be an opportunity just to quietly receive and be prayed for. And remember, it's not the people who have the answers, it's God. Maybe you just just encourage us to cultivate friendships where that goes on, where we're able to support one another. And we also have this wonderful ministry here, which Mervyn and Claire run, Streams of Hope, and a lot of you are involved in, which includes a lot of different ways of helping people to deal with some of the pain and the hurts, and includes particularly some special courses like Freedom in Christ and the Love After Marriage course and the Power to Change. I just want to finish by reading this paragraph. We are a family at Winchester Vineyard who seek to remain inwardly strong while outwardly focused. We want to create a place where no one stands alone and a place where people can press into God, whether they're celebrating the joyful moments in life or journeying through the difficult times. Our hope is that in these environments and through this community we'll be a people who are walking towards wholeness in Jesus whilst at the same time bringing life to our communities. And why don't we just stand, because I feel like the Lord wants to minister this morning. And we thank you for your presence here. We thank you that you are the chief shepherd. The chief shepherd and the good shepherd, who knows every single one of us by name. As I look out here, I don't know all of your names. I know many of you, but not all of you. And I certainly don't know the intimate details of your lives, but the Holy Spirit does. The chief shepherd knows the intimate details of every one of his followers. Why don't we once again just submit ourselves to him and to his care and to his leadership? Thank you for your presence, Holy Spirit. You are already in the room, and we're so grateful that you meet with us. Thank you that you know the details of our lives, intimately, intimately. You know the things that give us joy, and you know the things that cause us pain. You know our frustrations, you know our happinesses. You know the plans you have for us. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Now come and touch each one of us, I pray. And for those who really need to meet you this morning and experience your presence in just a powerful way, come and do that now in Jesus' name. Yes. You know who you are, and Jesus knows who you are. And Holy Spirit, we welcome your presence
1: here. We'll just wait on you. Earlier on, Sharon reminded me of Galatians chapter five, verse one, where it says, "It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free." And today, if you want to look to Jesus again for help or because you need freedom, then I encourage you to take a step out of your seat and come down to the front, where somebody can stand alongside you and pray with you. And as we've said many times, there's nothing magic about being at the front, but sometimes when we want to respond to God, doing something physical with our bodies is a really helpful way to help our brain and our hearts engage. And so I want to invite the band to come up now. Guys, if you'd just like to come and play quietly. And if you want to respond to Jesus then please do come forward and church if you would like to come along, stand come and stand alongside somebody please come and do that we're not going to get in the way today praying with a lot of words but we're going to help one another look at Jesus
0: thank you guys keep coming, step forward and there are more of you as well, if you're struggling and you know that you need Jesus to touch you and you just want to respond to that today and we're going to pray for healing today. That's it. And let's have some of you church folks come and just stand with these guys. Not, as Joe said, not a lot of words, but just this is all not about what we can do. We are not the special ones. Jesus is the special one. He's the one. Thank you. Keep coming, guys. So. Thank you. Bless you. Jesus, thank you for your presence here. Thank you for your presence
1: here.